you're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a cloud-native DevOps course creator, consultant, and manager of this growing community on cloud-native DevOps. This podcast is an edited-down, audio-only version of my YouTube live show, which airs on Thursdays at brett.live. This podcast and all the free stuff I create is made possible by my supporting members. Thank you all so much for your continued patronage. There are well over 100 of you buying me a coffee every month, which makes that just 1% of the people that read, watch, or listen to this content every month. I'm hoping we can double that to 2% this year. And as they say, membership has its privileges. So you can find out how to support this show, my cloud native training, and our DevOps community at brettfisher.com. Chad Kroll, author of the book, Acing the Certified Kubernetes Administrator Exam, joins me and my co-host, Matt Williams, to walk through how you can contribute to Kubernetes open source. Chad started the kubeskills.com community and a podcast and the YouTube channel to focus on learning Kubernetes by doing, and he's taking us through a detailed guide on how to get involved in the Kubernetes community. If you ask me one of the best ways to start contributing to open source, I wouldn't have initially put Kubernetes and other CNCF projects at the top of that list. At first glance, they seem like big, complex projects with tons of activity and smart people who already know what they're doing. To me, that feels a little intimidating. But in this conversation, Chad helps us understand how the maturity of the projects and the community make it a much more pleasant onboarding experience for first-time contributors. Chad shows off a wide range of resources and steps to help your first issue or pull request go smoothly. He's convinced me that the maturity of the community and the diversity of the projects makes it a great place to get started with contributing to open source. So please enjoy this episode with Chad Kroll. Hello, I'm Brett. We're going to get into learning Kubernetes a different way, something different than my typical course or whatever you're doing on my end. If you're coming from the courses, we're going to talk about actually getting in and contributing. So that's a, an exciting thing because I'm going to learn a lot here. I'm excited to have Chad on this show. Let's jump to the fun part. I'm glad to say that these two people I was hanging out with last month. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. So yeah, we're going to get into it. And Chad's going to teach us a whole lot of stuff. So we were all hanging out at Sivo Navigate. And Chad had his excellent, sh uh, uh, what do we call this, book shirt? It wasn't a shirt yep. book. It was a book shirt. Yep. I didn't wear the book, but I got the second best thing, which is a shirt with the book cover printed on it. So it was, yeah, it was awesome. Is that also your Halloween costume? You dress <laughs> you up dress as, as a book. book. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm not wearing it right now, actually. <laughs> You just put yeah. paper on your head. So it's in Meep right now, right? You're releasing this year, but people can get the chapters as they happen. Is that how it's working? Yep. It's been in Meep. It's going to printing this month. So stay tuned for a print copy very soon. I've finished writing, finished editing. We're in the final stages. So I'm very excited. I need this book. So, <laughs> And I don't need the book either. I bought it on the flight home from SivoConf. Awesome. Thank you. I think there's a lot of cool exercises in there. There's a lot of ways that you can prepare for the exam, being that it's in the terminal without having to read a lot of theory. And there's not a lot of talking. I don't talk, I don't talk a lot normally. So my book is the same. <laughs> <laughs> we got people that are in this exact scenario of they are learning Kubernetes, or at least in some cases, learning the rest of it. Like we maybe learned some features, but I always find that like when I take a certification, I realized that there's all these other things with an app that I never had to use, and but I'd have to know it for the test. And so it, I always feel like the certifications make you, a, even if you're someone that's a, even an expert on the tool, it always makes you a more well-rounded expert in that tool. Like the edit command. Yeah. I don't use a lot of edit commands, but I imagine they're on the test. So Yeah, that's a good way to provide a vetted and true fire way of getting your Kubernetes basics, if you will, and it covers the gambit. So storage, networking, troubleshooting, cluster configuration, all your kubectl commands and everything. So it's really a, a good place to start, I would think, for a beginner, but also, yeah, like you said, like just brushing up on your skills as a more advanced user too. Yeah. And for the podcast, for the listeners, sorry, what we're talking about is acing the certified Kubernetes administrator exam. 
And it you can get it at acingthecka.com. That's A-C-I-N-G, the C-K-A.com. <laughs> For Matt and me, because I can't spell either. <laughs> and But today we're talking about this, but we're talking about the idea of learning an alternate way of learning rather than watching just watching YouTube videos or a course. And of course, there's a lot of lab stuff out there. There's Killer Coda, there's other options. O'Reilly has a platform. It seems like now the way that you learn some of these things online, there's CodeCloud with Ks. There's all these different ways to learn by doing, but you're suggesting another way, right? Yeah, I think going through courses, I've made courses myself as well. And uh, yeah, going through courses has its benefits. And I personally learn better through video and uh, that style of learning. But there's in addition to that, maybe you've finished a course and you want to continue your learning. There's a way to contribute to open source. And this allows you to take real world problems and things that allow you to impact the project in real time. There's never a shortage of problems to solve. And this allows you to just get your hands dirty on solving real world problems and getting a feel for how the pull request method works and working in teams. And also you kind of get a side benefit of being inside of a, a community this size, which is with Kubernetes, it's quite large. So nice. So how did you get started? Okay. so. We're going to back up a second and do some fundamental words that maybe not everyone is familiar with. So we're going to talk about SIGs. Can we talk, can you talk tell us what that is in the Kubernetes space? Yeah, so SIG is acronym for special interest group. And a special interest group is nothing more than a group of people getting together and focusing on a specific area of Kubernetes. Like there's a SIG for networking, there's a SIG for storage, there's a SIG for API, there's a you know, there's a whole host of <laughs> SIGs. Don't have time to, you know, I'd probably be here for an hour if I listed them all. But yeah, if you could so, list them uh, all, I would be impressed, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would too, yeah. More um, than five or 10, and I'm running out. Yeah. So it's just a way for folks to focus their time and energy on a specific area of Kubernetes being that so, so broad. Yeah. So when we say SIG, we're really just talking about a group of people that are spending time working on some part of the ecosystem and it doesn't have to be developer stuff right like this can be this can be documentation this can be well we're talking we're going to talk about community and contributing today which has its own sig which i didn't know about can you tell us a little bit about that yeah i think it's a valid point and something that that i plan to highlight today which was you don't have to be a developer or even technical to contribute to Kubernetes, it's really, it's multifaceted. So there are areas where you can contribute to the mainline code, but also there's opportunities to add stuff to documentation or to add a tutorial for someone learning Kubernetes. So that's really what the focus is of the contributor experience SIG. So contributor experience, as the name implies, really is focused on making the contributor experience better and that for developers and technical and non-technical people. So making that experience in terms of what we're talking about today, which is how do you contribute as a new contributor, but also how can you improve contributing and look for other areas to contribute as well? Yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting about the SIGs, it's, I mean, it's, you're not like voted into onto the island and booted up. I mean, Anybody can Good participate point. in those SIGs as well, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Anybody and everybody can participate in a SIG. There is a, a bit of a legal hurdle there that you have to, that you've crossed, but it's not too bad. And yeah, I, everyone is encouraged to participate. Yeah, a lot of them I learn about them because they might they might do like a YouTube or a Twitch stream of their SIG meetings for those that just want to sort of view but not participate, right? And I'll sometimes, like YouTube will sometimes recommend those to me. So maybe if maybe a tip out there, if you find a couple of SIG meetings on YouTube and watch them, maybe YouTube recommendations will stop telling you about 
whatever the disaster <laughs> of the day is, and maybe it'll show you some SIG stuff that you can actually learn from. <laughs> yeah. Mine's filled with like the latest I, Tesla I was, and Apple stuff, so I'd never see, I hardly yeah. see Kubernetes stuff. I was just watching a bunch of the SIGs, a bunch of the developer experience uh, or community experience just, just a little while ago, and saw all these people I already know, Chris Short and Kaslin and nice. a bunch of others. So. Yeah. I think it's really important to have a group of people that are dedicated to taking care of contributors, right? Because most everyone, and I guess you could say that most people are doing this as a part of their job. You know, they work for Red Hat or they work for Microsoft and their boss is telling them you must contribute. But in a lot of cases, people are volunteering their time and they're taking their time out of the day to contribute to something that kind of everyone benefits or thousands of people benefit from. So it's pretty, pretty right. important. It is pretty special and rare in the history of software to be involved in like, in a, I guess I'm going to say a leadership way and a project that spans the globe and spans all, like all of tech and all of, there's other things like Linux kernel and maybe, but it's one of those things where it's so unseen that I can't list more than one person that contributes regularly to the Linux kernel. So, but with Kubernetes, it's everywhere. And once you start diving into that community in terms of you start watching videos or you jump on the Slack or you go to one of the conferences, now we got these Kubernetes day conferences that are popping up everywhere. And I'm just waiting for one to show up in my backyard and I didn't know it was supposed to be there. <laughs> it's like, once you start dipping your toe in this, suddenly you realize there's this vast community of people that are all excited about the same stuff. And it's a lot of fun to be in. So for those of you out there, that if you get a chance to go to any of these, any of the things virtually or physically in the real world, they're awesome as well as contributing. Why don't you walk us through, like, I'm someone who's interested in contributing. I'm on the outskirts. I attend the conferences or I read the documentation all the time. And I didn't even know there was an opportunity for me as like a non-Go language expert who's diving into the Kubernetes source code every day. Like, how, what does this experience look like for me and how can I start? Yeah, I think it's really important to point out that even if you're a first timer, you've never worked on an issue or created a pull request before, it's really important to point out that it's so easy nowadays to get started. And there's firsttimersonly, firsttimersonly.com. It's a site that's created by Scott Hanselman and Kent Dodds. And okay. you can go through the process of creating your first PR, which is kind of that first barrier to entry for people. So it doesn't have to be so scary. You could do this in a practice environment and get used to the process. Once you do it a few times, it really does become easier and you get more familiar with it. And then beyond that, I think it's just getting acquainted with the structure of Kubernetes and how the groups work. So we talked about SIGs before, there's also committees and working groups. And there's a way to look at issues, look at the existing issues. And there's a special tag that's put on these issues, which is a is kind of a clue for first timers. And those clues are it'll the issue will be tagged as good first issues, or it'll be tagged with help wanted. And so that gives a lot of people, at least I thought a few years back. I need to like run the code locally. I need to find a bug or something that needs to be fixed and then create an issue myself. That's not necessarily the case. I think, like I said, there's a plethora of issues that other people have brought up. And so you can take, you know, you can take one of those issues and work on it and contribute that way. And so, yeah, we have first, first good issues. And so that's a good way to just dive right in. And now that you're familiar with the pull, pull request process, now you can start working on the actual work that needs to be done related to this project. I'm seeing some of the tags. I was wondering if some of them were where it would say like documentation or indicate the sort of the type of person that would need to work on this. I, don't, I didn't know if that was a common tag. Yeah. So there's a lot of different a tags. Sig network. Yeah. SIG network and scheduling. Yeah, so, so yeah, these are projects. Yeah, yeah most SIGs. of them are will be tagged with a SIG. Mm -hmm. It'll be tagged with, there's three main organizations related to Kubernetes. It's not just the Kubernetes that we're all familiar with, but there's also community and website. So there's, even within GitHub, there's three different organizations that you can be looking at issues from. And then, uh, yeah, within those organizations, there's lots of other subdirectories in, in inside that repo and you'll be able to, it's just classifying, you know, tags or 
I guess some people call them labels. That's just a way to categorize and easily tell like what this issue is for. Yeah. It's pretty awesome that on the main Kubernetes repo, there's currently 22 open tickets that are labeled good first issues. So chances are, if you're actually someone who's using Kubernetes or learning it and it's kind of your thing right now, it's to me, it reminds me of like my early days in Stack Overflow when I wanted to work on my rep, right? And I would try to find the easy questions about Docker that, or, you know, whatever the tool du jour of the day I was working on. And I would try to find those lonely, unanswered questions that are like six months old. And I would try to find an answer for them just to help with my my rep. And that kind of is like a good first issue kind of a, approach, I think, where you're going after the low-hanging fruit. It doesn't require necessarily a lot of knowledge or even how do I find the file that particular part of the Kubernetes stack is in or whatever. Because I'm definitely not someone who's like... All the three of us have been using Kubernetes for so long, we probably don't remember exactly which year we first started, but it's I still wouldn't probably be able to tell you even where in the Kubernetes repository to deal with a particular issue of the API, right? Like in terms of code, because I just don't, I'm just not someone who's at that level, even though I feel like I'm a part of the community, I bought the t-shirt. <laughs> so that's the same thing that happened with me on Docker. My first contribution to Docker was fixing a doc. And that itself taught me so much about contributing because I didn't know what signing off a commit even meant, right? I didn't, that's a thing on GitHub, I mean, everywhere, but I mostly spend my time on GitHub, but there's this whole little thing that you maybe didn't know about that you need to do. And then I didn't know that I needed to squash my commits. And I did, there was like multiple steps to the process mm -hmm. beyond just me changing the one line of docs. But once I did that a few times, suddenly I felt like, well, I can change these docs whenever I want because I know how to do it. And I know the people that are going to help me approve it. And it sort of freed me from the apprehension of getting involved because you just don't know, right? So, all right, so we've got our org. We've, mm -hmm. we've picked our project. We found an issue. Is that where we're at? What's the next step? And who's, who yeah. is saying that this is a first good issue? Who mm -hmm. determines that? Mostly the lead maintainers of the whatever SIG or whatever group you're in. So there'll be chairs of every SIG and committee that kind of monitor monitor these tickets. Technically, anybody could label this a good first issue, but there is a series of checks and balances. So we, you have, with every repo, you have a handful of reviewers. So that being said, there's really nothing you could do to, like if you're afraid of doing any damage. There's like, if your your pull request doesn't automatically deploy to prod, it's, it, there's a series of checks and balances. There's gatekeepers, there's reviewers, I should say, to review your PR, accept it or not. And so that, that kind of eliminates the barrier for people too. Nice. So a good first issue. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, there's all these projects <laughs> and GitHub isn't really great at searching. I mean, I guess maybe you could probably figure out a good, GitHub search for searching across specific organizations and specific repos for good first issue tags. But the idea originally with this website was like, if I want to help with Haskell, it'll show me the repos that are in here. And then I can immediately, and it shows me the count. So I don't have to go search. Cause like, while you were talking, I went and searched in external snapshotter and <laughs> I just was down a rabbit hole, but yeah, they don't have any there. They have one but there's nothing in that, that particular repo. So how am I supposed to find these if I don't even know what repo I want to be in or if I don't even realize how many repos there are? And I was actually going to suggest this, but now I feel like, okay, maybe we need to start adding all the Kubernetes project repos to this website. That's maybe... Or I have a better idea. Okay. You guys, um, you have something? Yeah. So there's a, there's this cool product out there called Open Sauced. And no, yeah. if you haven't checked it out, I would encourage you to do so. It's he's B Dougie on the internet, but open pizza. Yeah. So open is focused on getting your contributions noticed. So if you're somebody who contributes often to any open source project, it's a, it's a way to basically pull that into a dashboard, create metrics for people who are looking at it, ideally employ potential employers. And it's a good way to get your contributions noticed and also kind of highlighted in a certain way better than GitHub does right now. Yeah. I haven't actually explored. This is like on my to-do list because it, it's an interesting, like I don't give this to my students. There's always people coming out of my courses that are looking for what's next, right? And I don't think I really have anything on there like beyond labs and other examples and demo apps and stuff like that. I, I need to start adding some of this con contribution stuff 
to that list because you're convincing me now that's a gap in my and the at the end of the learning process of you've got Docker 101 now, you've got Kubernetes 101. How, what's the besides certification and just doing more of the same? What's the other piece of this? And it's our involvement. Yeah, I created a custom dashboard or Brian did, created a custom dashboard that lists all the, some of the most popular project from the CNCF. So this is where, like, when you want to look at a potential project, let's say you're interested in Kubernetes and uh, you're interested in contributing, but maybe you want to check out Prometheus or etcd or Helm, which are probably equally as popular projects. You could create a dashboard and see what people are contributing to today, what changes have happened in the code in the last however many days. And then you can also see you have an even profile pic from GitHub that lists the people. So you can go and ask those people in, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but Kubernetes has its own Slack channel, Slack workspace. And you can go reach out to this person and say, hey, I noticed that you contributed to this. You did this, that, and the other thing. I'd like to know more about that. And I think you'll find that people are quite friendly and willing to explain what they did or help you in any way that they can. Yeah, it's kind of the culture that so many people around Kubernetes and the CNCF have, you know, I've lost count of how many tweets I've seen essentially of, I love this community. I'm so glad I, my job made me do it or I stumbled into it or I somehow found it. I think that's something that I came from the old Microsoft background of enterprise software. And I felt like that was always part that was lacking. They always try to do stuff at conferences, but once I got into open source and we actually started going to conferences and meeting the people in the community, or just going to meetups. If you're lucky enough to have meetups in your local area, that's when it really started to stick for me. I was just going to mention, speaking of communities, they just started doing this thing called Kubernetes Community Days. And it's kind of a spinoff of DevOps Days, if you've ever been to one of those, or at least follows the same kind of method to bring people together. But yeah, KCD, there's one happening in Mumbai pretty soon. And, you know, shout out to Siam Pathak, and he's a good friend. And, and yeah, so there's a ton of meetups. You just look on meetup.com or check out your local KCD, Kubernetes Community Days, or yeah, the community is super friendly. I think you'll find that if you, if you go to the Kubernetes Slack, which I just posted in the chat, slack.k8s.io, you'll find that people are super friendly, willing to help, and you'll really be treated fairly and nicely, and uh, you'll kind of be guided. That's actually the recommended kind of first step in terms of getting acquainted with a community is reaching out to someone and saying, hey, you know, how can I help or how can I contribute? Nice. All right. Where do we leave off? I, want to I had a question sure that- about open source. So I see at the top of their open source.pizza website, the pricing, who is the customer for, I mean, they've got some free dashboards, but who's paying for this? It's the companies. So the companies who are searching for contributors. Because oh, okay. ah, a lot of, in a lot of ways, people are too kind of, if you've ever hired somebody, you go through the process of qualifying them and going through the series of technical <laughs> interviews. This is a way to kind of bypass that, right? Because you already can see, it's almost like a project portfolio. You can already see what they're contributing to, what they've done. It's a good way to for employers to, to filter those people out. Great idea. Yes, yeah, also a very common question is, when we have the Q&A shows and we're talking about getting started in DevOps, people are commonly interested in how do I improve my rep on the internet, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the answer is, well, everything you're learning, do it in GitHub, make it open source, show the accomplishments when you have zero experience and you're just trying to show that you've grokked the Kubernetes land. And this is also, usually I feel like for my students at that point, contributions seem too scary but I'm gonna we're gonna have to use this episode as a reference to nope nope. There's actually a process, and there's actually people expecting you to show up brand new and giving you the tools you need to actually get started without it being the old days of you go into an IRC channel and say, "Is there anyone here that can help me with my issue?" <laughs> yeah. um, that was a- yeah, and you can't just to have automatically can't just rely on that GitHub graph to be all green to show that you're contributing to open source projects, because I can neither confirm nor deny that I may have a GitHub action that automatically posts every single day to ensure that my chart is green all the way around. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like, is this like the, the modern equivalent of padding your resume? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Who would uh, do such a thing? No, I mean, well, I mean, I would argue that I, you have to do, I have a GitHub action that wants to do a scheduled build of my images. And if there's this quirk on GitHub actions that it can't actually really be your cron because it will, if you don't do anything on a repo for like 30 days, it'll just stop running 
stuff. Mm. So my argument would be, well, I'm committing to the repo so that it'll keep actually doing the GitHub Actions every day. <laughs> it's a weird quirk. Why put in a scheduled cron yeah. feature if it's just going to stop running after a month? It's, I gave them feedback. And I was like, this is the most the weirdest thing that's going to bite everybody <laughs> if they're listening, if GitHub's listening. The the next step, I wanted to ask about, this looks like work to me. So how do we, how do we break this down so it's not so scary to me? <laughs> so this is the kind of cycle that you would go through to contribute to anything in Kubernetes, any code. The, pretty basic GitHub flow. So GitHub flow is a super simple way to pull down code, create your own branch and push it back up. So okay. step one, fork your own copy of the Kubernetes repo, which creates a copy of it in your own GitHub account. Step two is clone the forked repo to your local machine. So step three is yeah, add the original, like the source of where you got the code from to your upstream and then do a git fetch, git checkout, git rebase, do not git merge. <laughs> Step four is create a branch and then make changes on that branch is step five. Step six is push the branch to your branch in your local repo. And then step seven is create that pull request, which will pull for the lack of a better word is a way for you to, it's like pulling into the main branch of Kubernetes. So you're requesting that to be brought in. Try not to use the word merge, but in GitLab, it's a merge request, same thing. So you're telling someone, you know, I want this to be brought into the, to the main code. And that's what we talked about before with the kind of approval process and those reviewers. And then once you're PR is accepted, then it's merged into the main branch. Right. So for those that this is new stuff, what we would say that this is like a standard thing in modern repos. So it's nice to know that if you're going to do something like this and you want to help out and change something in a repository for the Kubernetes projects, that this is not a completely different process from the norm of someone who's doing pull requests in a modern repo on GitHub, right? Yeah, and this is exactly the same process that you would go through on the first timers site, first timers only. So <clears> yeah, <throat> this is very common. This is what I do every day at my job. And so if this is confusing to you, just go to first timers, getting the first timers only and go through that process. And I think it'll start to make sense once you actually do it yourself. Yeah, there's, um, I need to look more into the good first issue. The first timers, because the one that I keep thinking about is Eddie Hub, because I, he was one of the first people I saw that w was basically creating a community on GitHub to say, hey, come and do a pull request on our org and be a part of it. And I thought that was a really mm. cool, interesting way. It's almost like you're joining the club by doing a pull request. And, uh, mm. I, and I don't know if that's kind of what they're outlining on first timers only, but it was an interesting idea. I'm sure there's some people out there that have heard of Eddie Hub. So is yep, same, cool same deal. Yeah. And this is sort of like bringing together some of the other websites that all have different ways for you to get involved. And the, so this, none of this is Kubernetes specific, but it's great to know that you can use these processes and some of these things for Kubernetes as well. All right, what's next? Yeah, so we went through the process of creating a PR, or I guess I should talk about if you're looking at issues and you've decided, oh, I'm gonna pick up this good first issue. It's always good practice to assign it to yourself you can do that by commenting on the issue with a forward slash assign. The forward slash kind of indicates kind of a special bot to take action and to mark you as assigned to that issue. So that's important to, to remember in terms of letting people know that you're working or you're actively working on that issue. And then once you've done that, obviously what we just talked about, so forking, cloning, creating a PR, and then if you're on the development side, it's compiling Kubernetes, which is a little bit more complex, but as of late, you can do that via GitHub code spaces, which makes it a lot easier. All you need is a browser and you're off to the races. I just, I mean, I know that we have all these other alternatives, code server, all these other stuff, but I just, code spaces is just so awesome. I don't yeah. use my iPad right now, but when I was heavily in the iPad over the lockdown, I, I, would, I just love that I could actually have an iPad keyboard and get stuff done and code spaces. If someone hasn't tried that, I'm sure everybody has out there, but if you're that one person, you know, set up your own code yeah. server or yeah, yeah, there's a lot of options. Yeah. And it's just like a, a Visual Studio code in your browser. So it's super easy to use, very intuitive. 
I didn't know this. This is something I've today I learned. I can actually yeah, interact I, with the bot myself. I don't need special permissions <laughs> to interact with this bot necessarily. Yeah, my favorite is meow, which or honk, which will just post a picture of a cat, which is always fun. And so <laughs> I'm a fan no of this. No. Recommend that. Is that like the way to keep it like it's like the bump? We you know, it's just like the alternative to the bump. <laughs> yeah, create a crown job that does a meow for every everything. I think you'll know a lot of people that way, but it might work. they'll certainly get on their radar maybe not the intended outcome (laughs) i think it's important to put to point out yeah the issues tab versus the pull request tab so the issues one is the one we talked about before where you're searching for good first issues and looking at the issues related to and so once you submit a pull request that pull request will show up under the pull request tab and so that allows the same amount of tracking that you would have anywhere else. The bot kind of guides you through it. So if you go through your first pull request, it'll say, it'll give you a kind of a good outline for uh, filling out that pull request in, in terms of those, uh, the forward slash whatever to assign it to a specific SIG or what have you. And then allows you to be more descriptive about what your PR request is trying to solve or what it's doing. So it'll be pre-populated with all that information. So you can just, it's kind of like filling in the blanks. And then you can also, after the fact, anybody can do this, including reviewers, is comment on the pull request. And you can go through the process of communicating about how that's going to be approved or denied or what fixes you need to make. Maybe you need to create another pull request. And so those are ways that you can track the pull request throughout its lifecycle. Nice. I think the Kubernetes projects have the most advanced usage of labels of any projects that I are in my world. <laughs> I mean, Docker has a lot, but I don't regularly see eight plus tags on it, on issues and PRs for them. So a good first, like if somebody's looking for an example, I've been walking somebody through in terms of, and this is a good opportunity to give a warning <laughs> to, to people who are still using the Kates.io registry. So one of the biggest changes recently, and this is this is Ben, if you go to kubernetes.io, so you'll see the warning there that legacy kates.gcr.io, the registry, they're moving over to a new container registry. So it's going to be, yeah. So this will break a lot of clusters, I feel. So that's why they've outlined it in red. But so back to an example, this was an issue of not a technical issue, but an issue of changing all the references from kates.gcr.io to registry.kates.io is what the new one is going to be. So if you go to that link, it goes right into that issue where this is somebody that's going to go through all the documentation and all the code that references kates.gcr.io and change that to registry.kates.io. So that's one of the one of the ones where you don't really it doesn't necessarily mean they have to be technical, but also one of those good first issues where this is something that anybody could do, right? E- even a bot could do, I suppose. But I think what they're looking for is just a way for somebody to contribute. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that if you're looking for an example of how this whole workflow plays out, <laughs> this is a good example of a non-technical way where somebody created an issue saying this needs to be changed. And somebody, if you see the forward slash SIGs, forward slash assign, mm. those are the keywords that we were talking about before. And this is one of those things where a difference between a very public repo versus something that a company might do just internally, you know, a lot of these good first issues, I mean, I think Brett mentioned the term low-hanging fruit. It's somebody, something that we'll want to do internally and just get them all done. It's kind of hard to switch over to this mindset of, okay, if I find something that's really easy to do, don't do it because we want to make sure that we encourage other people to to join and to do those first good first issues. That would be super, like maybe the person who assigned it as good first issue, it might be something they can do in their sleep and it's like, just get it done. But no, we got to let somebody learn how to do this stuff and there just to know the fact that maybe that contributor is not going to be there forever so we need to bring more people up through the channels to be able to do this as well not just rely on the old experts it's a challenge to find those and really to not do it myself yeah definitely i think you're right i think the impetus there is to leave that low-hanging fruit for someone else that may find it more challenging or who's more 
introductory. And, and yeah, I think a lot of people will tag those appropriately for that very reason. Or create, you know, a lot of people create those issues with that intent. So I think that's the nature. I think that with Kubernetes, and I think the reason why I suggest going to Kubernetes first in terms of your first kind of open source journey is that that's what the community is based around is this idea that you're working with other people. You're not necessarily paying it forward, but, you know, allowing others to grow as well. And it's kind of community-based versus I'm going to I'm gonna compete with you to contribute more than you or right. better than you. So I think you'll find it very much the former. I was going to say, when we were talking about the Slack, we mentioned that, the what was it? Slack.k8s.io, I believe. To me, that's one of the first things you do, even if you don't necessarily hang out in there very often, just at least be there so that when you need... Like, well, I don't chat a lot in that Slack, but a lot of times I'll be on a site, I'm interested in a thing. I'm like, oh yeah, there's this is an interesting tool. And they will have their own channel in the, the Kubernetes Slack community or in the CNCF community. And I'm already a member of those. So I can easily just click the link. It'll take me right to their channel or whatever. And it's an easy way to jump real quick into the conversation without mm. just hanging out all day and expecting to consume all the chats and all the channels, because obviously that's not possible for a human to do. But I didn't know about the mailing list. Do mm -hmm. all the SIGs have mailing lists? They do. So if you go to any SIG in GitHub, there's a special page for each SIG and you can join their mailing list, which will not only, it's a Google group, so you'll get added to the Google group and you'll be able to participate in that conversation, meaning you can see what what people are saying about that particular SIG. You can be invited to the the SIG meetings. Usually the SIGs will have a meeting once a month or maybe even more frequently. And so that's a good way to keep up with, you know, it's a RSS feed. You can keep up with what the SIGs are doing, what everyone's talking about. You talked about finding the issue that is a good first issue to, to deal with. And you went straight to PR. For some things like search and replace for GCR to IO to Kate's IO or whatever it was, that probably doesn't need much discussion. But for other first issues, should they also start out by commenting by here's how I think I'm going to solve this? Or should they just solve it and submit that PR? What is there a better strategy around, I guess, getting feedback before you do the work? Yeah. So if you find an issue that you want to work on, the first step is to assign it to yourself. You can use a forward slash assign for that. And then you can make comments on issues too. So you can ask for clarification or in addition to reaching out to somebody in the Kubernetes Slack, because in the Kubernetes Slack, there'll be a separate channel just for that SIG or just for that, that not the issue, but the topic. And so you'll be able to communicate back and forth. And I think you'll realize that the communication is, they're very responsive. So you, you won't sit there for a week and not get a response. Yeah. Um, Short turnaround almost, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a good way to, to proceed with actually working on the issue. And then as you come through those stumbling blocks and issues, it's actually preferred if you communicate through Slack because you can kind of flood the comment section of the issue, which is not very helpful for other people. But I think, yeah, communication is key. And the main way to do that is in Kubernetes Slack. So, that, And then what's the right thing to do when you, okay, you found this issue that you think, oh, I can solve this. I know exactly what to do. You assign it to yourself. You might have that discussion to say, here's what I'm going to do. And is this the kind of the right thing to do? And then a few days in, you're like, oh, wait, this is harder than I thought. And I'm not the right person to do this. How do I give up? <laughs> or should I just pound through and try to solve it? Or at what point do I say, I, I don't have the skill set to do this? I mean, I would encourage you to, to pound through it and to really challenge yourself to, to kind of get in that mode of being comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? And I think in most cases, and myself included, I'm not able to solve most issues. And so I think what I would encourage people to do is to is to have someone by your side and community to walk you through it. And don't be afraid to ask dumb questions. I ask dumb questions all the time. <laughs> and uh, But if you do decide, like I had somebody recently that said, hey, I have to, a work thing came up and I just don't have the time to work on this right now. So I said, okay, go ahead and put in the comments section, the forward slash unassign which will unassign you to the ticket. And maybe you can assign it to someone else if you have a buddy that you're working on this with, or you can wait for somebody else to pick it up. 
So, yeah, this is actually a pretty good example that the one you referenced us is like there's an exchange where someone assigned and someone asked if they could take it up. And so that person gave it up today. <laughs> this actually happened. To, this was, yeah. And it all happened through chatbot commands. A real quick question on this How do I correlate an issue that I'm seeing and the Slack group that it's in? Is it as simple as just looking at the SIG assignment and then going on looking up like SIG testing in Slack? Is that a way to get started? Yeah. I think there is a general chat where you could ask, hey, I have have this issue. Where do I go? But I think it's pretty self-explanatory in terms of even search the keyword itself or the label itself, you know? So Right. In the um, endless channel list. Yeah. Because it it is overwhelming if you go to Kubernetes Slack, there's thousands of channels. So And I think another thing that's not been mentioned yet, but probably important to keep in mind, if you're working with Kubernetes and you discover a problem that you think no one else has seen, the best thing to do is not just solve and submit a PR, but I mean, start with an issue first, right? Yeah. So first thing, check to see if there's other issues that are similar. So you're not duplicating efforts there. But yeah, I think creating an issue is the very first step if you do see something new that is genuinely new. And then you're also, you know, if this is your first time creating an issue, again, directing back to Kubernetes Slack to ask somebody, hey, how do I do this? Or what's the best way to do this? Because there is that kind of methodology that you have to follow, that workflow that you have to follow that uh, that will get it categorized correctly and we'll get it to the right people and we'll get it in the right in the right hands. And yeah, I think what Matt's also kind of reaching for there too is generally random PRs don't go well. <laughs> if someone's not aware that you're coming at them with a change to the source code that you maintain and they give you a request to pull their changes, it does and it's not I mean on small projects like mine, I get probably every week someone who accidentally because maybe they're learning GitHub at the same time, they accidentally pull request their own work to my courses. So I have a lot of like closed pull requests that people open it and then the same day they close it because they go, oops, sorry. Because GitHub tends to sometimes with forks want to always push you towards your commits going or your PRs going upstream instead of to your own repo. I don't always like that approach because I'm constantly changing. No, I don't want to change that guy's. I want to change my fork or whatever. And... People do that a lot. So that's a great sort of pro tip on open source in general is like, make sure people know you're coming with the changes Mm -hmm. first, unless you're literally just like spell checking a word or something. That's probably Mm. one of the few exceptions I would make to that. You don't need to file an issue for fixing a markdown issue or whatever. I think when you create a pull request, the bots will not only prompt you to sign the CLA, which is that legal hurdle Mm. I was talking about before, but it will also walk you through the process of categorizing that using the forward slash kind of keyword thing and uh, categorizing that into a specific category of whatever you're trying to fix. So I think uh, through that, I think it weeds out a lot of those erroneous PRs. The next thing I want to talk about real quick is this onboarding course. What is this about? Yeah. So the Contributor Experience SIG has created this wonderful website that is for contributors and new contributors and old contributors, everyone to reference so that they can learn how to do their first contribution or how to, what the developer guide is, how to build from source and how to do all those more complex things and everywhere in between. So this is made and maintained by the Contributor Experience community. And it's a good, something that I always refer people back to when they're trying to learn the basics and going through that workflow of contributing. So these are basically just slides. It's not a course in that you would think of like Brett's course. (laughs) It's more of a slide by slide bringing, you know, walking you through step by step and then providing you links along the way to reference the documentation that's already there. That's partially due to it not being outdated and not coming obsolete over at the rapid pace of these projects, but also just provide a good kind of step-by-step, easier, less cluttered way of going through it. Yeah. And then, so I guess like a companion URL is the cheat sheet. Yeah. So if you, it's like the TLDR, right? If you want, if you're familiar with contributing and you want to go back to say, oh, how do I do this particular thing? The cheat sheet's the way to go. Nice. Uh, So I have a question kind of bringing us back to Originally, when we started this, we talked about this is maybe another way of learning about Kubernetes and learning about 
yeah, learning about Kubernetes by contributing. And I'm curious about what are some of the things that you have learned in your process of contributing to Kubernetes, to the open source projects? What are some things that you think you've learned of the problem you wouldn't have learned if you didn't do these contributions? I think the one that comes to mind is the inner workings of Kubernetes. And I think it was an issue that I ran into recently. It was with Kind, because I use Kind Kubernetes in the book. And I think I had an issue with creating a something to do with ingress, maybe creating a load balancer. Mm. But I think I learned a little bit more about how the API exposes the ingress and how ingress contr- controllers work. And mm. To, running into that issue and then working through someone to resolve that just along the way, getting little bits of information that I didn't know before. And it just allowed me to get a different perspective and also shed some light on, you know, fixing this particular issue. I think in a lot of scenarios in my career, at least I still haven't learned this technique of like just stepping away from it for a little bit and then coming Mm. back. But sometimes it takes that stepping away from it and coming back, or it takes another person to say that, you know, that right there is not correct. That right there, maybe you want to change this thing or tweak this thing a little bit and see if that works. Just an extra pair of eyes really helps in those particular scenarios. Well, thinking about you had this experience with kind specifically, and depending on the kind of Kubernetes you're running, whether it's maybe on your local machine with Kind or Microcates or Minikube or Docker desktop Kubernetes, is there anything that any resource online that kind of looks at all these different things for, let's say, building a having a load balancer? What are some of the things that you're going to have to do differently on all these different platforms? Because they're it's sometimes a little bit different because and mm-hmm. not really a Kubernetes question, but how does Kubernetes interact with the platform that it's on, which in my case is going to be Mac, but it could be a Linux box. And sometimes I have, you know, I know exactly how to do it on one platform, but then it just doesn't work on kind or micro Kubernetes mm-hmm. or, or something else. You ever seen any resources that look at all those different platforms or, and try I to think, answer uh, that kind of question? Yeah, I would start with the documentation, right? So whatever distribution of Kubernetes that you're using. So in the case of Kind, I would go to kind.case.io. In the case of just general Kubernetes, I would go to kubernetes.io. With OpenShift, I would go to their documentation. And so I would start there. I would start with searching through the documentation and seeing all these different use cases, if they've been addressed already. And if there's a common practice, a lot of times it takes just going through how is this commonly used, right? So this is normally set up like this. I have it set up like this, then you can compare the two. And then secondly, if you keep getting stuck on that and can't find it in the documentation, then I would direct people to communities such as the Kubernetes Slack, or I actually have my own community that I started. It's called kubeskills.com. So K-U-B-E skills.com. And so you can go, this is a free community where you can learn Kubernetes with a smaller group of individuals who are all kind of helping people learn Kubernetes. So we have tips on going through open source contributions like we're talking about today, but we also have like Kubernetes 101, what are all these resources that we talked about, like persistent volumes, like pods and replica sets and deployments, and then also studying for the exams, right? So there's the KCNA, CKA, CKAD, and CKS. <laughs> it took me a while to to. I don't think I can those. say them that fast. Yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> proud of myself. That's actually pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> but yeah, we're all studying for exams as well. And uh, so it's a fun little space to collaborate with people on as well. Yeah, we cool. probably should have a whole show dedicated to the exam process because it's, from my point of view, it's gotten more formal and it's gotten, it's changed over the years. And the challenge right now, I think what the, well, of course, any cert is like to find the most the up-to-date resources and the current situation with what what's going on there because all certifications end up not only does the content have to evolve but then the process of actually getting tested i hear a lot of people complaining about that just because it's you know they want to avoid cheating so there's an art a little bit of a process that you got to go through to take some of these tests nowadays and the linux foundation seems to be doing a good job of trying to uh keep things regular unlike some other old non-linux foundation certs that i have taken where 
they get way out of date and you're basically taking a test on a version that no one's running anymore and this process doesn't seem to be that way so we probably should have a whole separate episode on that so matt and i'll have to take that mental note if you've ever taken the OpenShift exam it's like they make you create your own usb drive which is some distribution of red hat and you have to boot to a usb and then it brings you into a proctored environment and then there's like all these wow. hoops that you have to jump through. It's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. I, I long for the days where I just went to my local testing center and there, I got a cubicle in a corner and it was like a, it was a 15 year old PC that could barely keep up. I'm an old Microsofty guy. So I have like, I think I have 30, yeah, 30 Microsoft certifications. So I, for quite a few years, I was like, I should have got like a membership plan basically at that certification <laughs> center. I went to the HNR block. You go to the H&R block and you tell them I'm here for a certification. They bring you up to the back room. <laughs> like, they, <laughs> like they're sharing space or something. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny, but yeah, H&R wow. block is a good. So get, get your certification and your taxes done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For one. Nice. I'm going to use a little bit of time, but just to say, I often listen to podcasts, especially when I am walking the dog around the block and I was listening to one pretty recently, Coop Cuddle, not Coop Cuddle, but Coop Cuddle, like cuddly, C-U-D-D-L-E. They did a interview with Joe Betta. I think this was back in December or so, but a really interesting interview with Joe Betta, who's one of the original guys focused on, on Kubernetes and what it was like building Kubernetes at the time, what was the landscape like, how amazing was Docker when it came out and how did it change everything, even though there were things like jails and other systems before, but also what's it like building a startup and and how would he do Kubernetes differently today if he were redoing it? So mm -hmm. I thought this was an amazing, amazing interview with a really interesting guy. So I might want to check that out. Very nice. Yeah, there. I'm excited that I think when I started this podcast, I don't believe there were any Kubernetes ones and there was very little like arrested devops and maybe a few other ones were the only ones that were really talking about the devops or cloud native space and now we have i think because of the pandemic we've we had a surge and it's awesome and there's so much content that i was just listening to a change log the other day change log ship it i think is their one of their newer ones and ship it's a pretty great one and i think sadly one of the i put this on twitter the other day one of the saddest things to me is when a podcast dies you know usually it's because the long game is hard and doing this year after year. And so thank you, Matt, for being here. By the way, I want to just point out that this is the first show with a guest that Matt has co-hosted. Yeah. So thank you, Matt, so much for being here and, and volunteering your time. And we only over went over each other, what, like two or three times. So yeah, we're learning. And, we, the and then we work process. all that out in post. That's how we say that. We work that out in post. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, have a, I have a great editor, Christy. Hey, Christy. <laughs> Well, yeah. Chad, thank you so much for being on the show, and especially yeah. being on an uh, extra half an hour longer. We appreciate you hanging in there, and we had a ton of content here. So thank you so much for hanging out. All right. Thanks, guys. Ciao, everyone. See you then. Bye. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.